0: Now, chapter 23, and I'd remind you again that we're in the section of this book where God put the greatest emphasis, and it's upon the temple. This section is all about David, David's reign. We had only one chapter on Saul's reign, but from 11 through 29, it's all about David's reign. But what was the most important thing in David's reign? Well, was it about his mighty men? They're mentioned. And David's wars? They're mentioned. And David's sin? Well, his sin in number and the people is mentioned here. And there's so much about David that we have in these historical books. But what is it concerning David that is all important? Well, beginning with chapter 22 through 29, it's all about the temple. That was where God put the emphasis. That's what God thought was important. And here is where he put the emphasis. And he made it very clear that this was all important to him. And it was all important to David. And we saw his great zeal last time. It's a question of putting God first in your life. It's one thing, friends, to say, yes, I'm a Christian. I've trusted Christ. God bless you, it's wonderful you've trusted Christ. But do you really put God first in your life? Is he a thrill to you? Do you rejoice in that relationship? You want to do something for God. Does he give direction and purpose to your life? Is it your great desire to want to know him and to serve him? Now, that's very important if you're a child of God. It's very important. One of the things, as we suggested last time, that is wrong today. Oh, so wrong. Our churches have become nothing in the world but just activity. Activity without action. Just a ceaseless round of going through this and going through that. It's like a merry-go-round. We get on and have a nice little ride then we get off and we get off right where we got on. We're not getting anywhere, we're not going any place. And David was going someplace, and now he's urging his son Solomon to go someplace. And he gives him something to do, and that is he's to build the temple. And the greatest thing Solomon did was to build the temple. Candidly, that's about the only thing Solomon did of any significance. Are at least brought glory to God. It's very important to see that. Now, David in this section here is encouraging Solomon to build the temple. I tell you, it was a regular pep meeting. He called that boy in and told him that he gathered all the materials. Now, he not only gathered all the materials, but David also organized the Levites to serve in the temple. You will recall they served in the tabernacle. The family of Aaron, they served as the priests. Then you have the Levites and their three families. There was the Gershonites, Kohathites, and the Merariites. And these all had a very definite thing to do in the wilderness. When they were moving the tabernacle, they took it down, they put it up, And the Gershonites, why, they carried the curtains and the coverings. And Kohathites carried the articles of furniture. And the Merariites carried the boards and the bars, the pillars. And it was quite an undertaking, as we saw in the book of Numbers. It was quite an enterprise to take the tabernacle down of a morning, put it up again in the evening, and restore the service of it. Now, the staves are taken out of the ark. It'll never be moved again. It's to remain now permanently in Jerusalem, on the floor of Ornan. And David has bought the place that's going to be used as the place of sacrifice, the place of the temple, that is where the mosque of Omar is today. And God's temple is to be put there. Now, the Levites, they are to have a new service. They are to serve now in the temple that is to be built. And there'll be a great deal for them to do. And so the thing that David does is organize them into shifts, if you please. They would serve by lot, actually. They would serve for a period of time. Then they would retire. And then they'd come back. I think that's the way firemen serve. I think that's the way a lot of men in certain occupations today, they go in 24 hours a day. And then after they serve several days, then they have several days off. Well, that's the way that the service of the tabernacle was organized. Now, will you notice David now makes Solomon King. So when David was old and full of days, somebody said, what would David die of? Well, he was full of days. That was his problem. That's a problem many of us have. He made Solomon his son, king of Israel. Now, will you notice? He gathered together the Levites. He gathered together all the princes of Israel with the priests and the Levites. Now, the Levites were numbered from the age of 30 years and upward, and their number by their poles, man by man, was 30 and 8,000. Now, I think back in Numbers 4:48, we had, when they were numbered, when they came out of Egypt, there was 8,000. Now they're 38,000, and they've increased in number. God said they would multiply in spite of the judgment. Now we're told of which 20 and 4,000 were to set forward the work of the house of the Lord, and 6,000 were officers and judges, and moreover, 4,000 were porters, and 4,000 "'Praise the Lord with instruments, which I made, said David, to praise therewith.'" Just think of that. David put a great emphasis on music, and you have them divided here into these three parts. And David divided them into courses among the sons of Levi, namely Gershon, Kohath, and Merari. They were the ones that brought up the tabernacle. Now they're given a new assignment by David in the temple, and from here on they serve by courses. Now you have here the family of the Gershonites, the family of the Kohathites. They had carried the articles of furniture, and the sons of Merari, and they carried the heavy stuff through the wilderness, you remember. And all of them are listed here, and I'm not going into that. Now you'll notice verse 26 And also under the Levites, they shall no more carry the tabernacle, nor any vessels of it for the service thereof. Now that which they were assigned at the beginning to carry the tabernacle through the wilderness, that's over with. And now they're going to have a new business. They're going to have a new assignment. And I wish today there's something we could learn. There are many very fine Christian organizations. God raised up and they served a purpose. Then God was through with them. And when God's through with the thing, he's through with it, friends. And yet there are people that try to preserve the old organization. And some of them are as dead as a dodo bird. They do not serve any purpose whatsoever. And it's time to get something new going. God moves out in a new way. And you have him here saying to the Levites, we're not going to be trotting around the wilderness anymore. We now have a temple and your service is going to be different. Oh, to be doing something for God that is alive and moving. We need that today, friend. Now, in chapter 24, you have the organization of these sons. You have here, first of all, now these are the divisions of the sons of Aaron. They were priests, you will recall. And the very interesting thing is, he goes all the way back to the time they were in the wilderness, takes these sons of Aaron, and Nadab and Abihu died before their father, had no children. Therefore, Eleazar and Ithamar executed the priest's office. That's verse 2 of chapter 24. And David distributed them, both Zadok of the sons of Eleazar and Ahimelech of the sons of Ithamar, according to their offices in their service. So that this is actually a very highly organized procedure that David is putting in force. You see, David is not only gathering the materials, but we're going to also see he has the pattern for the tabernacle. He bought the real estate where it was to be built. And now he organizes the priests to serve in that. You wonder what really Solomon did. And that's my reason for saying that we call it today Solomon's temple. But I think God makes it very clear here it was David's temple. The only temple Solomon ever had was the one on the side of his head. The temple that we have built in Jerusalem is David's temple. It was his idea. It was his thought. It was his work that gathered the material together. He got the workmen to build it. He organized the priests to serve in it. And everything was in place. Now we have that, and we have him putting the priests in orders. Actually, there were... Twenty-four orders, verse 5, thus were they divided by lot, one sort with another. For the governors of the sanctuary and governors of the house of God were the sons of Eleazar and the sons of Ithamar. Now, these sons were organized into orders so that one group would come up, and under them a certain group serving in the temple. Then they would retire, and another group would come up and take their place. I think it was quite a chore, quite interesting to watch. It wasn't long ago that I had the privilege of watching the changing of the guard at Buckingham Palace. Now, I want to tell you, they overdo that thing over there. My gracious alive, they could do that lots quicker than they do. What ceremony, what show it is. And they've made it that. In fact, the matter is, I think that none of the kings of the past would go for the way it's being done today. I'm sure they'd be surprised to see how the thing has worked out. That sort of thing took place in the temple when it was built. And we find that they were organized this way. You see, each one of these families had several offspring now. In fact, you come down several hundred years to David from the time of Moses, and these families have grown as we have seen that the children of Israel, from about 8,000 now, have about, did I say 38,000? I think that's what it was we saw last time, 38,000 of them, and now they will be the ones to serve in the temple. They don't need all of them at once, so David organizes them into orders. And in verse 20, the Kohathites are divided. We've told the rest of the sons of Levi were these of the son of Amram. And here we go down that list. Then we have the sons of Merari, and they are divided here. They are divided by lot. And each family carried on their service, you see. Now you have here in chapter 25... The singers are organized the same way. I'm reading verse 1. Moreover, David and the captains of the hosts separated to the service of the sons of Asaph and of Heman and Jeduthun, who should prophesy with hearts, with psalters, and with cymbals. And the number of the workmen according to their service was. Now, we have here... All of this organized, and this was before the temple was built. And you will find that in that marvelous 68 Psalm, a song of David, that it says in verse 28 and 29, listen to this, Thy God hath commanded thy strength. Strengthen, O God, that which thou hast wrought for us. Because of thy temple at Jerusalem shall kings bring presents unto thee. Now, you see, at that time, the temple was not built. So they were organized into these groups. And long before the temple was built, while they were in Jerusalem, the singers were gathered there to worship God. You see, he had brought up the ark. And it was in a tent. And there was an altar there where David, you will recall, on the threshing floor of Ornan, he had offered sacrifices burnt sacrifices, and peace offerings unto God. Now we have their division is by lots of 24. That would mean that every two weeks that there'd be a change, you see, 12 months out of the year, and they would have every two weeks, twice a month, there'd be a change in here of the service. And that would mean that they'd only serve two weeks out of the year, but You see, they went back to the city they had come from, and there was a service that they performed there, as we have discovered before, that these priests, the Levites, served in many ways throughout the land of Israel. This was, I would say, one of the greatest feats that David performed in his ministry, and it is the thing that God noted and God recorded here. Now, you not only have the priests divided like this, but who's going to sweep out the place as well as who's going to keep the store. It's very important to find out who's going to sweep out the place. Now, we are told here, chapter 26, verse 1, concerning the division of the porters. And believe me, they are organized just the same way. And then what about others that are serving? Well, you've got to have watchmen around the place. And we're told in verse 13, they cast lots as well as small as the great, according to the house of their fathers, for every gate. And therefore, they were to watch the gates. They were to be on guard duty. So that here is a temple that's being built, and there are these that on service 24 hours a day. It's very important to see that. And... Now you've got to have a treasure. Because, you know, in God's work, it takes money to carry it on. And it did in that day. And so we find here in verse 20, And the Levites, Ahijah, was over the treasures of the house of God and over the treasures of the dedicated things. And so he had charge of that. He had to make his report, you see. And then we have... Others, there were to be those that would judge. You see, the Levites were to be judges. They also were to act in official capacity in many ways. Because it was God's original purpose that his people be a theocracy with him ruling, with the tabernacle in the center, and with the priesthood getting the decisions from God. And that changed because of the failure of the Levites. God raised up judges. Then you have the failure of them and the demand of the people for a king. And that's the reason that David is now on the throne. But all of this must be organized. It's highly organized. And David did all that. Now, they have the captains that are chosen. And you have the princess of the 12 tribes. And we find here... Verse 23, but David took not the number of them for 20 years old and under, because the Lord had said he would increase Israel like the stars of heaven. He's to believe God. He's got adequate. He took the census before because he didn't believe God. It was unbelief. God told him, trust me, I'll supply all the army you need. I'll supply all your men. He doesn't need to do that now. We have other officers that David appointed. I do not suppose any kingdom was any more highly organized than the kingdom that David established. David has a great meeting, and it's going to be one of his last. And he's come down now to the end of his life. And he's going to have a message for Israel and for Solomon that the nation can hear. This was very wise on David's part. I'm now in chapter 28. And David assembled all the princes of Israel, the princes of the tribes, and the captains of the companies that ministered to the king by course, and the captains over the thousands, captains over the hundreds, and the stewards over all the substance and possession of the king and of his sons with the officers, with the mighty men, with all the valiant men under Jerusalem. Now we find David standing up and speaking to them. There are several things here that I do want to call your attention to. David will not get away from this position of frank confession to the people. The reason that God would not let him build the temple was because he was a bloody man and that he had now commissioned Solomon, that God had done it and God had chosen Solomon. The very interesting thing is that David turns all the responsibility over to God for Solomon. He makes it, I think, very clear he didn't choose it. Now, let me begin reading it, verse 11. Then David gave to Solomon his son the pattern of the porch and of the houses thereof, and of the treasures thereof, and of the upper chambers thereof, and of the inner parlors thereof, and of the place of the mercy seat, and the pattern of all that he had by the spirit of the court of the house of the Lord and of all the chambers round about, of the treasures of the house of God and of the treasures of the dedicated things, also for the courses of the priests and the Levites and for all the work of the service of the house of the Lord, for all the vessels of service in the house of the Lord. You see that David made every preparation for the building of the temple. He has the blueprint of it. And he has already organized the Levites to serve in it. Just as Moses had been given the blueprint for the tabernacle, it was David, not Solomon, given the blueprint for the temple. Now, I said before when we were back in Kings at the building of the temple that the temple was much inferior to the tabernacle, and that is true. They've attempted to make, and if you've seen any models of the temple, you know that the models are very, very impressive. And I won't mention any one of them because there are several. They're all are very impressive, and obviously they're not as the temple really looked. They have built in Jerusalem today, the new section At the new hotel there called the Holy Land Hotel, and I can think of many names for a hotel, but I've never felt that Holy Land Hotel is a good name for a hotel. But they've got one in Jerusalem. Now, it's a new one, and it's very exclusive. I did not stay there. But out in the grounds of that hotel, they have a model of the city of Jerusalem. Now, this is not some little cheap thing that's been thrown up, or something that's been made by someone who doesn't really know what they're talking about. It was made after years of research, and it's been made by Jews in that land. And I take it they are Orthodox Jews. They have made the entire city how it looked. I was thrilled to see it. They have it looking as it did in the days of Herod. Well, now they call the days of Herod, but the days of Herod were like the days of Christ. It was the way it looked in the days of our Lord and in the New Testament times. And friends, it just doesn't look like the models that we've had in the past. And I believe that they're probably nearer how it really looked than it's ever been made before. A great deal of research went into this. Now, this model is not one you put on a table. They have built it in the rear of the hotel out in the spacious gardens they have there. And it's one that you have to walk around. I would not be able to tell you just exactly the distance or the ratio of the buildings to the actual buildings, but I would say that it is 50 feet across. And it gives you a real conception of how Jerusalem looked. Now, in it, they have the model of the temple. Now, when we get over in Second Chronicles, I'll spend a little time when we see Solomon building and certain of the details are given to us here. And we're going to make a very interesting study of that because we're going to see that back in First Kings, certain things were admitted. And our attention now is directed to certain things that we didn't have back there. And it's the thing that God now takes delight in. The Lord has given us a great deal relative to the temple. Now, the models that you generally see of the temple are quite elaborate. It's a very imposing building and very large. And this, of course, would be Herod's temple. It was the last one that was there. I have here a model that comes from back about, I guess, 1964. And it is toned down a great deal to what the others were. And it probably gets into the area of how it really looked. But this model at the Holy Land Hotel, and I have, by the way, a picture of it. That is of that model there. And we will make Xerox copies of this because it turns out real well and send them to anyone that requests them because I'd like for you to have this. And my feeling is that this will give you some conception of how the temple looked. And I could talk here for a couple of hours and I have a notion you still would not have a conception of it, not because you wouldn't understand, but because I do not think I could Adequately describe it. First of all, there is a simplicity about it. And I'm sure that that was there. It's always been made very complicated. And the details that are given to us in both Kings and Chronicles reveal a great deal of that. It was not as simple as the tabernacle was. But there was a simplicity about it. And it was not imposing inside but it was a thing of beauty and of richness. It was not the size of it. It was the beauty of it brought about by the wealth that was bestowed on it. David, very frankly, told Solomon, he said, you do not need to stint. I've gathered the materials enough for you to build just exactly what you want to. And it's been estimated of how much it really cost, and it would be up in the millions of dollars, even in that day. And of course, today, I just wouldn't build anything like this. It was ornate and covered with a great deal of gold and silver and precious stones. And this was actually the way that God wanted it built, and I've always felt God's house ought to correspond to the neighborhood in which it is. Now, I do not like to see these great cathedrals put up in the area of poor community. In fact, a slum area. That's not the way it is. Now, if you're in an area of millionaires, why, you'd want something commensurate with them. However, I believe that today the emphasis should not be upon the building at all. That is not the important thing. I read a account of a conference they had in Jerusalem on prophecy. It would be laughable, many of the things they said there, if it wasn't for the fact that it is rather serious to see men make statements like that. One of the questions was, would the temple be rebuilt? One of the arguments given was that God does not live in a box, and you can't box him in. Well, if you read the record here accurately, and I wish that brother had, he'd find out that Israel had no notion you could box God in. Solomon, in his prayer dedication, very frankly said, the heaven of heavens cannot contain me, Why the created universe can't contain God. And therefore, Solomon says, how can this little house? It was a meeting place. It was for the glory and the honor of God. That is the important thing. Now, today, God does not meet you in a building. He indwells individuals by the Holy Spirit today. And that is the thing that is important and the thing that we should emphasize, of course. Now, the thing that is amazing here is the heart of David. We are told here now to show you how ornate it was. Verse 14, he gave of gold by weight for things of gold, for all instruments of all manner of service. Silver also, for all instruments of silver by weight, for all instruments, every kind of service, even the weight for the candlesticks of gold and for the lamps of gold by weight for every candlestick. The whole thought here is that there was no stinting. There was nothing parsimonious about the temple. It was a great expanse and expenditure of the wealth of the kingdom of David. And David did this in order to honor God. Now you will notice, verse 19, All this said David the Lord made me understand in writing by his hand upon me, even all the works of this pattern. Now God gave to David the pattern of it. He picked the place, the threshing floor of Ornan. He also encouraged and inspired David but would not let him build it. Now, verse 20, And David said to Solomon his son, Be strong and of good courage, and do it. Boy, I tell you, this man, David, wanted Solomon to get busy. He says, Fear not, nor be dismayed, for the Lord God, even my God, will be with thee. He'll not fail thee, nor forsake thee, until thou hast finished all the work for the service of the house of the Lord. Now this Solomon's temple, of course, is different. We believe than the one that we'll send you a Xerox copy of, and yet there'll be a striking similarity in it. The floor plan will be the same, and of course Herod's was not nearly as expensive as David's was. David lavished the wealth of his kingdom to do just this. Verse 21, And behold, the courses of the priests, the Levites, even they shall be with thee for all the service of the house of God. And thou shalt be with thee for all manner of workmanship, every willing, skillful man for any manner of service, also the princes and all the people, be holy at thy commandment. You see, David had the kingdom in everyone, the priests, the workmen, the princes. The Levites, all stimulated and stirred up to do this. All Solomon had to do was just to do the thing David had already set up for him to do. Now we come to chapter 29, and actually the emphasis here now will shift to the kingdom. And this is the thing David had in mind in his dying day. And the center of that kingdom would be the temple, of course. Listen to this now, chapter 29. Furthermore, David the king said unto all the congregation. Now, this is his deathbed. You'll recall that when old Jacob was dying, he called in his son. Remember, when Moses reached the end of his life, he had a message for all 12 of the tribes. Now, David has a message for the kingdom now, and he's come to the end of his life. Listen to him. Solomon, my son. Whom alone God hath chosen. He makes it very clear that God did the choosing here, not David. He's yet young and tender. That means he's a sissy. That's what he was. He was inexperienced. Oh, David was a veteran, you see. And I think David was rather hard-boiled, friends. Gracious, generous man. But he could be hard-boiled. And this boy Solomon is not experienced at all. And he says, "...and the work is great, for the palace is not for man, but for the Lord God." Oh, the heart of David, my friend, putting God first. Verse 2, "...now I have prepared with all my might for the house of my God, the gold for things to be made of gold, and the silver for things of silver." The brass for things of brass, the iron for things of iron. And I'll move down to verse 3. Moreover, because I've set my affection to the house of my God, I have of mine own proper good of gold and silver, which I've given to the house of my God over and above all that I've prepared for his holy name. And then he mentions the amount of it here. It's a tremendous thing. He says the gold for things of gold. Silver for things of silver. Be no stinning, no holding back. Then in verse 6, then the chief of the fathers and princes of the tribes of Israel and the captains of thousands and of hundreds with the rulers of the king's work, they offered willingly. Now David gave everything he had to this. Now there is a response on the part of the people, and they gave for the service of the house of God of gold, 5,000 talents then verse 9 then the people rejoice for that they offered willingly because with perfect heart they offered willingly to the lord and david the king also rejoiced with great joy he gave you know with joy my friend there used to be a motto that said give till it hurts well the world may have that motto that's not god's motto if it hurts you to give don't give give when it brings joy to your heart and life. Give hilariously, Paul says. And this was a time of great rejoicing, you see. Now we come to verse 10. Wherefore David blessed the Lord before all the congregation. Now here's David's great prayer. Listen to him. And he said, Blessed be thou, Lord God of Israel, our father forever and ever. He's the father of the nation Israel, you see, but not of the individuals. David never called him father. God said to David, David, my servant. <laughs> That's very interesting. The law never made a son of God, only faith in Christ. We are sons of God through faith in Jesus Christ. Now, will you notice something here? It may sound familiar to you. Verse 11, Thine, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that's in heaven and in earth is thine. Thine is the kingdom, O Lord, and thou art exalted as head above all. You'll recall when the disciples asked the Lord to teach them to pray, he gave them a prayer. He took them right back here to David's prayer. And this is the thing that was in the heart of David, you see. Thy kingdom come. And this is the words of brevity and simplicity. And it gathers up the aspiration and hopes of centuries. It is today one of the greatest prayers in Scripture. It's the greatest prayer in the Old Testament And it's all comprehensive. It's majestic. It's adoration. It's praise. It's thanksgiving. It's repudiation of all human merit. And it's all human dependence upon God. Self-humiliation. It's confession. It's dedication of everything, admitting that they already belong to God. This is a glorious prayer. Recognize that the kingdom is God. This is a tremendous thing. Thine is the kingdom. This is where the Lord Jesus laid hold to this to teach his disciples. Now, the scripture concept of the kingdom is a kingdom that's eternal and it's temporal. It's universal and it's local. It's immediate and mediated. Generally speaking, I think it's just the reign of the heaven over the earth. You remember that when God created Adam, he gave him dominion and now what is the kingdom what's the rule of god over the earth it means to restore god's rule it's the recovery of the earth and bring it back under god's rule and i hope that you don't think today that god's ruling in this world you won't have the heartbreak you won't have the tears you won't have the disappointment you won't have the wars. and this is the kingdom we should pray for it will only come about in god's way this will come about through divine protocol, and the divine aspects will be adhered to. Man will not be able to build this kingdom here on this earth. Only the Lord Jesus Christ can establish the kingdom. Thine is the kingdom. And I do not think what so-called Lord's Prayer is for public consumption. It's just not something to add to the ritual of a Sunday morning service. I personally believe that it's good for private devotion. Thine is the kingdom. That ought to be the prayer of every individual. This is a glorious way. David was looking to the coming of the kingdom here upon this earth. Now, verse 14, David says, But who am I, and what is my people that we should be able to offer so willingly after this sort? For all things come of thee. "...and thine own have we given thee." The very interesting thing, you can't give God anything. He owns it to begin with. But he can bless you, and he will bless you. The reason some of us are so poor and narrow-minded and little is because we are not generous with God. God can only bless us when we open up our hearts. Listen to him. "...O oh Lord our God, all this store that we prepared..." to build thee a house for thine holy name, cometh of thine hand, and is all thine own. Oh, I wish I could stay here a week. This is wonderful. Now we read here verse 23, "...then Solomon sat on the throne of the Lord, as king instead of David his father, and prospered in all Israel, obeyed him." Now listen to verse 26, "...thus David the son of Jesse reigned over all Israel." The time that he reigned over Israel was 40 years. Seven years reigned he in Hebron. Thirty and three years reigned he in Jerusalem. And he died in a good old age, full of days, riches, and honor. And Solomon, his son, reigned in his stead. This is the record that God has given. He wants you to know how he feels about David. Maybe you don't like David. God does, and I'm glad that the Lord loved David, and that the Lord dealt with David as he did, because David is so human, and I don't know about you, but Vernon McGee is very human, and I found out God will deal with him too, just as graciously, and just as good, and the Lord is good, the Lord is wonderful, oh, that we give praise to God, I can't build him a temple. But, my friend, today we can offer the temple of the Holy Spirit, these bodies of ours to him. Now, he doesn't get very much. That is when he gets me. But he's got me. My friend today. Oh, what joy to be committed to him. Until next time, may God richly bless you.